Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Renika Cheney, and I'm a member here at Christ Central. And today's reading comes from Mark chapter 4, verse 1 through 20. And again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teachings, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful, unfruitful. But those, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Christ Central Church. Um, I have to tell you, it is a great privilege and joy for me to be here with you this morning. It is the first time that I have preached in person in over a year and not into the Zoom vacuum. So I'm grateful for that, but I'm also grateful because I get to come and tell you thank you. Uh, for those of you who've been praying for us over these years, uh, who've been supporting us in so many ways, I'm just so grateful. <laughs> Josh said I cry. I'll probably cry a couple times this morning. I'm a very emotional person, and uh, I, when I think about uh, what, it, what it means that you all planted us and sent us out and how you've supported us over the years, it just fills my heart with gratitude, and it gives me joy to be here with you, to be able to share from this passage this morning. So uh, without further ado, let me pray for us, and then we will dive right in. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, we do pray this morning that you would help us not just to hear, but to listen. And I pray this morning that you, by your Spirit and through your Son, would open our hearts and give us ears that not only hear and listen, but believe. Would you change us this morning through your word? We pray in Jesus' name and by the Spirit. Amen. Uh, This morning I do actually want to begin with a question, and it's especially one I think the young folks, if you're high school, middle school, maybe even younger, um, this question is for you, but really it's for everybody. And the question is this, what is the difference between hearing and listening? You don't have to say it out loud, but just think about it for a second. What is the difference between hearing and listening? You know, if you think about it, you probably know this, right? Hearing has to do with the sounds that hit your ears, right? So you might not think consciously about the fact that you have eardrums working or that you have sound waves and how they function. Uh, You're just aware that sound is hitting your ears. That's hearing. But listening involves something more than hearing. Listening means that you've not only heard, but that you've actually taken meaning from it. In fact, not just taken meaning from it, but it actually causes you to respond, to do something. You can think about it this way. Think about the instruction that a parent gives to a child. And those of you parents in the room, I, I know you know what I'm talking about. When you say, listen to me, you don't just mean hear the words, the sounds that I'm saying. You mean do something. Stop that. Do this. Come here. Listen to me. And so this morning, in this parable that we're looking at together, Jesus says to us, don't just hear me. He says, listen. So I want to invite you this morning, whether this is the first time that you've heard this parable or the hundredth time, I want to invite you this morning to listen to Jesus and to pay attention to this parable. And it may surprise you uh, that it says something new to you even if it is the hundredth time that you've heard it. So listen. And in fact, that's the first point, and the other points are just going to flow from this first one. The first point this morning is that it is God who sows the word, and as God sows the word, he calls us not just to hear, to hear, um, but to listen. And there's actually, in this parable, um, even if you have heard it a million times, there's some interesting background that might be interesting to you that you might not know. Uh, Bible scholars actually think they know where this uh, parable was spoken. There's in the Sea of Galilee this point on the sea called the Bay of Parables, so named for this story where Jesus sits in the boat just off the shore and speaks to a crowd. And the reason it's called the Bay of Parables is that when you sit in just the right point, because of the shape of the bay, and because of the way the hills rise out around the bay, and because of the way sound carries over the waters, that you can speak in a normal voice as I'm speaking now, and the estimate is that six to 7,000 people can easily hear you speaking. And so people think that Jesus is actually communicating this parable. He doesn't just get into the boat uh, to get out away from the crowds, although that might be part of the reason, but it's because at this perfect point, He can speak powerfully and call people to listen. 
And it's for that reason, that powerful, if you can imagine that powerful voice of Jesus speaking in that setting, uh, it's for that reason that whenever you read the first couple verses, especially if you were to read it in the original language where the phrasing's a little awkward and the word choice is a little bit strange, why'd they say it just this way? It, it seems like what's trying to be communicated is this idea of Jesus not just sitting in a boat, but Jesus sitting on a throne, enthroned over the waters, speaking over the sea. And so it calls to mind Psalm 29 that speaks of the Lord enthroned and speaking and projecting his voice. And so that's why scholars think that this is actually an allusion to the Old Testament and not just to Jesus telling a story, but to the power of God that comes from the voice of God. And so there's an invitation to listen to the God who is worth listening to. So there's some background. One final piece of background. Parables are these interesting things, right? Parables use common, everyday uh, examples and illustrations to make a point in a powerful way. So Jesus speaking there on the sea, he can say, look, there's a path here, there's rocks there, there's thorns there, and he can make a point in a powerful way. But the thing about parables is you're not just making a point in a powerful way. Parables use simple things in order to throw us off balance. In fact, we're going to see in a little bit that parables sometimes not just help us to understand, but in some cases may actually make it a little bit more difficult to understand, may even push us away if we don't have ears to hear. And so it's important to have that understanding of a parable in mind, that it can both call us in, but can also push us away if our hearts are not in the right place. It's helpful to have that in mind in order to hear Jesus speaking to us. One of the things that I notice, and I wonder if you notice as well, as you read through this passage, is that it is rightly called the parable of the sower and not the parable of the soils. And the reason I want to make that point this morning is because so often when this passage is taught, it becomes sort of the exploration of the different kinds of soils and what are they metaphors for and what do they mean and which different kinds of Christians or non-Christians might be these different kinds of soils and how should we think about it. And actually, there's some truth in there. We're, we're going to think about that at the end. But the thing that I would like to emphasize at the beginning is that this is rightly called the parable of the sower. It begins in verse 3 and ends in verse 9 emphasizing the authority of the one who speaks. It says in verse 3, listen, why? Well, it goes on and says, a sower went out to sow. It begins by emphasizing the sower. And then at the end in verse 9, if you go down to the bottom, it says, and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's this emphasis on responding to the one who is speaking. There's this communication of the authority of the speaker, and there's a focus on the sower. This is the parable of the sower. God sows the word, and that's why we should listen. It's not just because Jesus is a nice teacher, or he has good opinions, or he's a very uh, you know, wise man, but he has authority because he is God. It's the parable of the sower, and that's why we should listen. And so in many ways, this passage in the parable of the sower it's very similar to the passage we read at the beginning of the service, Psalm 126. If you were here, or if you're paying attention, if you remember, Psalm 126 uses that same language of sowing and reaping. And in that language of sowing and reaping, 
there's this emphasis not just on what is sown or who receives it, but on the one who is sowing and the one who is reaping. I want to read uh, Psalm 126. After that beautiful language about God's people crying out from the desert, how many of us feel like we're crying out from the desert after this year of pandemic and racial injustice and everything else? After that wonderful language of crying out for the desert, for the streams of refreshment that can only come from God, it says this. It says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. So far, it sounds like it's emphasizing the people receiving. But then in verse 6, it says, he who goes out weeping, bearing seed for the sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And how someone could read this passage from the Old Testament and not see Jesus the Messiah (laughs) predicted going out and planting and then bringing his people with with him, I don't understand. But the, the point is that this Old Testament psalm is emphasizing the one who sows and the one who reaps and brings that harvest with him, just as the parable of the sower does. It's the parable of the sower and not of the soils. The point is that this parable is first and foremost a picture of Jesus, who is the one who is wise, the one who is worth listening to. He is the one who created by his word. He is the one who redeems by his word. And he is the one who gives us his word in order to know who he is and how we should live in this world. Jesus is enthroned over the water, sowing the seed. And not only that, he's also the one who cultivates. He's the one who brings the harvest. When you get to the end of the passage, yes, it talks about all the seeds and some that are lost, but it primarily emphasizes those ones that do take root and do grow, and the harvest is 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So Jesus is also the one who harvests. The whole emphasis of this passage is on Jesus, who is the sower. And so the question for us this morning is, do we hear Jesus? Do we listen to Jesus? Or have we become desensitized? Or, especially for us right now in America and this year, distracted? Uh, This week I had the opportunity to go over to the home of a member in our church uh, they've just had a baby, Steve Walker's uh, grandbaby, granddaughter. I see you out there, Steve. Good to see you. And uh, I got to go over and sit with Ted and Lydia. And, uh, you know, I've had my second shot, just to, for the record. And so I was able to hold the baby. They let, they let me hold baby Millie. And uh, the thing I thought about as I was sitting there is that how I always forget every time I hold a baby. Uh, just how fragile and small a baby is. Even though we've got five kids ourselves, it's not like it's the first time. I've done this a bunch of times, but every time you hold the baby, it's just so small and fragile, and I forget. And the other thing I forget is how babies react so dramatically to every the sound. You you know what I'm talking about? When a baby hears a sound, the baby just shakes almost like, what what is making that sound, and pays attention to you? So I was holding the baby, and... Uh, you know, somebody would say something funny and I would laugh and then the baby would jerk and then I'd realize, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be quiet and gentle because I'm holding a baby. And here's what I was thinking about here's, in, in relation to this passage. As, as babies grow up, they develop filters. 
and you start to be able to determine what sounds are significant, what sounds can be ignored, what sounds can be filtered out. And for most of us, over time, we get pretty good at that, especially considering how many advertisements bombard us, especially living in a city like Charlotte, uh, how many dis you know, distractions there are, how many things there are around us. We learn how to determine what's important and what's not. And so I guess my question for us this morning would be, is your filter tuned to hear God speaking through his word to you? Or is your filter tuned to be distracted and led by other voices? Let me rephrase that and ask it another way. What are the voices that you're listening to right now? What influences you? When it comes to listening and hearing, what is it that speaks to your heart, that draws you after it, that you, that you run after, that you follow after? What are the influential voices that you're following? And it could be music or movies. It could be uh, the things that you read. It could be the talking heads you listen to. It could be the people that you surround yourself with. What are the authorities in your life that you listen to? And are they shaped by the sower and the word of the sower? Or are they shaped by other values, desires, other gods, other idols? This passage invites us to ask that question and actually to think about it, to think about it, to spend some time today thinking about what is influencing us and, and what are we following. So the first point again this morning is that God sows the word and he calls us to listen. Now, it does raise a question, why should we listen to Jesus and why should we listen to this word in the first place? And that leads us to the second point, that this isn't just about God sowing the word, but it's actually about God showing himself to us. God doesn't just sow, but he shows, and he invites us not just to hear, to listen, but to believe, to respond to the interaction with God himself. Uh, parables, as we hinted at a little bit ago, don't just call us in if we have ears to hear, but they can also push us away. The same truth about God attracts some and repels others. That is what parables do. And Jesus tells some 60 or so parables that are recorded for us in the Bible. He told many more, but we have 60 of them recorded. And if you, watch, if you read the New Testament, if you watch what happens, you can see the parables doing this, drawing some in, pushing others away. They have a twofold function. And in, this, in the middle part of the passage, in verses 11 and 12, we can actually see Jesus explaining this to his disciples. He's alone with them, it says in verse 10, and the 12 are asking him, please tell us, what does this mean? And Jesus says to them in verse 11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. The parables aren't just simple stories that help people to understand more deeply. They are that, but they're more than that. For those who don't have ears to hear, whose hearts haven't been softened, they can push away. And the reason that we should spend some time emphasizing that is that this passage also invites us to consider the God who is speaking and the fact that parables show us that God. They confront us. They bring God to us and they ask, do you actually see God or do you not? 
Uh, Mark here in this passage, in verse 12, goes on to quote from Isaiah, a passage that talks about God hardening people's hearts. That's a difficult thing to read. Why does God harden people's hearts? Why doesn't God call all people to himself in the same way? And there's a, there's a mystery in there that we're not going to fully resolve this morning. But I want to observe that that is something that the Bible does teach, that we love him because he first <laughs> loved us. That no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. And the Bible teaches that difficult truth. Now, having emphasized that, God's sovereignty, and seen where it comes from in Mark, and Mark quoting from the Old Testament, let's also remember that there are four Gospels, and two of the other Gospels also record the same parable, the parable of the sower. I'm thinking of Matthew and Luke. And you could do this later on today if you wanted to. You could go and read uh, Matthew and Luke's versions of this parable, same story, no difference. And what you'll find if you go and read Matthew and Luke's version is that the emphasis is not on divine sovereignty, God hardening or softening people's hearts, but Matthew and Luke fault the people for not listening to God. They have hardened their own hearts. And so there's this great mystery that the Bible presents to us, that God is sovereign over everything, and you cannot come to God apart from God calling you. Therefore, you cannot have pride about your faith or pride about salvation because it is a work of God in you. And at the same time, the Bible also teaches that we experience this as a choice and something that we are called to respond to when we are confronted with the God who is described in these stories. We experience it as a choice. And God, yes, softens hearts and hardens hearts, but also we harden our hearts and we soften our hearts, and there's just mystery there that we're, gonna, we're not ever going to fully resolve until we get to heaven and God can explain it to us how this exactly works. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, I, one of the things I do think is really interesting is that this is a theme not only in the, in the New Testament and the Old Testament as well. You remember the story of Pharaoh? Remember God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh with a message, and the message is, you can help me, let my people. Yes. And you remember the story in the Old Testament. Moses goes to Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, let the people go. Pharaoh says, no. So Moses brings the plagues, and Pharaoh doesn't like the plagues. And so Pharaoh says, okay, well, I guess I, I'm going to let the people go. But then they always get ready to leave, and, and then you know what happens. Do they go? No. They stay. Pharaoh hardens his heart. And I want to jump into the middle of that story, a passage that ends chapter 9 of Exodus and begins chapter 10. So you can look this one up later, too, if you want to. Uh, but the same mystery of God's sovereignty and human responsibility is played out in the Pharaoh story. In chapter 9, at the very end of the chapter, it says, But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. He hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. That's what it says at the end of chapter 9. In the very next verses, this is what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them. God hardens hearts. We experience this, though, 
as a choice between hearing and listening and believing when God presents himself to us or rejecting him and being pushed away by the same truths. God's word draws those in who God is working in their hearts and who believe in him and respond. But God's word also pushes people away when they don't believe God is who God says God is. And so these parables are doing just that. And our different gospel authors, Mark here, but Matthew and Luke also are emphasizing these same things. And now, one thing I want to emphasize is that Mark's gospel is actually the story of outsiders who didn't know God being exposed to Jesus and then coming in, becoming insiders. And so, uh, for those of you who've read Mark before, you know this, but you can think of the stories. You think of chapter 5. Jesus goes across the sea to the Gerasene, and there's the person possessed by the demon. And that person, though not from Israel, a Gentile, an outsider to God's people, believes and comes in. Uh, A few verses later in the same chapter, uh, there's that woman who's been bleeding for many years. You remember the story? And she comes up and she touches Jesus. She wants to be healed. And though she is Jewish, an insider, because of her bleeding, she is considered unclean by Jewish custom and therefore not welcome. And Jesus, whenever he sees that woman's faith, he responds to her with compassion, and she is treated as the insider that she actually is. And if you continue on in the story of Mark, there's story after story after story. Uh, You think about chapter 7, the woman from Syrophoenicia, Gentile, um, but she is treated as if she is an insider because of her faith. Um, she is exposed to Jesus, and she believes, and she comes in. There's the centurion in chapter 15 that's standing by the cross at the moment that Jesus died, and the thunder rolls, and the sky is opened, and he says, "You remember? do you remember what he says? He says, surely this is the Son of God. Surely this is the Son of God. And he, though a centurion, becomes an insider. In chapter 12, there's a humorous story with a scribe. Even a scribe, even one of those hypocritical religious leaders, even one of those guys can come inside and and actually maybe even demonstrate some faith. The Mark's gospel is the story of people's hearts being softened and moving from being outsiders to insiders. What about your heart? Is that the path you're on? hearing these stories and being drawn in to this Jesus who does these miracles, who casts out demons, who heals a woman, the one who, when he dies, the sky is split. Do the stories draw you in? Do they cause you to believe in this God who is calling to you, saying, believe in me and listen to me? I think about it like like this. Um, You can imagine a criminal now, I know that nowadays we often think about criminals unjustly tried or found guilty, but in this case, imagine a criminal who is guilty, capital crime, it's, it's known, there's no question. Now imagine we are those criminals. And what God is like is God says to us, though guilty, though we have rejected God, though we have gone our way, though we have lived however we want to, hurt whomever in the process. God is saying to us in Jesus that Jesus has paid the price for your sins through his life and death for you, 
And he has been raised from the dead to prove that he is God and that you are forgiven and that you have a hope. Follow him, listen to him, and live for him. God is saying those things, but we're like the criminal that's so busy that we can't hear this judgment from the judge who is merciful and gracious and loves us because we are so busy complaining, saying, well, you know, in the situation, you know, my sins really aren't that bad. And, uh, well, you know, God's law, I don't really get it in the first place. Why does God say do this and don't do that? It doesn't make any sense to me. We're so busy listening to all the other voices instead of the picture of God that we get in the Bible of a God who is merciful and just and given us his will and given us his ways and told us how we should live and how the world works, that we are complaining and going after all those voices instead of listening to the God who's shown himself to us in Jesus. And so there's an invitation here, a powerful call here today to know that that is the kind of God that we worship and listen to him. Don't be pushed away, but be drawn in. And I know for many of you, you've heard this before. You know these things. You do believe. Maybe there's some of you here today that you're not quite sure. There's an invitation here to believe for the first time and take those steps and to talk to someone about what that looks like. And for the rest of us here in this room this morning, there is a call to us to examine our hearts and to say, do I believe this God and will I listen to him and follow him? And I know as soon as I say that, there's some area of your life that comes to your mind. You know what it is. I know what mine are. And the question for you ought to be, am I going to listen to God today? Because he's the kind of God who loves and forgives and promises me everything. And am I going to follow him? God shows himself to us, not just the word, but himself to us. He calls us not just to hear, but to believe. What does that look like? Last point. The parable actually tells us what it looks like at the end. This is one of those nice parables where Jesus says, let me explain to you what the parable means. I'll tell you what it means. Let me me show you. And he he actually applies it. And in this last section where Jesus applies it, we see that not only does God sow and show himself to us, but he actually grows his people so that we can bear fruit. How does that happen? By being discipled in God's word. It's not complicated. (laughs) It's not tricky. God grows us through his word. Eight times God's word is mentioned in this passage. That's probably a sign that we should pay attention to the significance of God's word in this passage, right? Nine times we are commanded to hear it. And by hear, it doesn't mean just the sounds. It means listen, be changed by it. That's the path. That's what it looks like to be discipled, to grow in knowing and believing and following God's word. And then Jesus explains that these soils offer three warnings to us. A warning in the path where the seeds are snatched up by the birds, a warning in the rocks, the rocky soil, where the plant can't take root, it's shallow, and a warning in the thorns that choke out. There are three warnings here. And they're pretty straightforward. The path where the seed just lies on the hard path and the birds come in and they take it, in verse 15, Jesus says that this is like Satan coming in and snatching up the seed. Satan coming in and tempting us with something that looks better than the 
seed of God's word that God has given. Instead of, instead of allowing it to grow, we run after Satan. They're snatched up. And so there's a warning here for us this morning to consider, which is, in what way does Satan snatch me up? And as you ask that question, so often our focus <laughs> becomes, well, how can I stop that sin? How can I stop that sin? How can I stop that sin? And of course, we should want to stop that thing that is snatching us up. But the pattern that this passage gives us is not just stopping, but replacing what we're doing with God and listening to God and knowing God and following God and reading in God's word. And the problem is that so often for most of us, when we are attracted to sin for the first time, and especially when we're caught in something repeatedly, how do we feel when that's happening to us? We don't want to be in God's word, and we don't want to be with God's people, and we certainly don't want to be in worship, hearing the words spoken to us. We avoid it. I know it. That's my own heart. And I'd imagine it's yours too. At one time or another, we can all find ourselves in that place. And the difficulty <laughs> and the problem with that tendency that we have, is the very thing that we actually need in that moment is to be exposed to God's word. And so if you experience that feeling that you're not good enough or God can't love you or I don't want to be around God's word or God's people because I'm in this thing, you need to know right now that that's a lie. And Jesus has said, yeah, you're not good enough. You're forgiven. You're part of my family. And you, you read the stories in the New Testament when someone is struggling with sin or doesn't know the answer. Jesus is never harsh with them, but he says, look, let me show you, let me show you a better way. Take this step. <laughs> Believe and follow me. So if you find yourself in that place where you're being snatched up, don't just try to quit it, but replace it with <laughs> what, what God has given to us to replace it with. God's word and God's way. Uh, following God is the way that we avoid being snatched up on the path by Satan. The second warning that we're given is the rocky soil. And, uh, and you know, it's become kind of cliche nowadays to talk about the shallowness of American Christianity, but I still think there's some truth in that. That this uh, warning that's given to us in this passage about shallow roots that can't withstand tribulation and trials when they come. Notice what it says. It's not just talking about tribulations and trials in general. Those, those, those can also be struggles. What kind of trials and tribulations is it talking about? If you read it, it says those that come from God's word. So it's actually hard to follow God's word. If you're following God's word, it's going to be difficult. There's going to be times where it means that you're not going to be like the people around you, and there's going to be times where it means dying to yourself. It's going to be difficult. And the reality is that so much of the Christianity that's around us is a feel good, do, be kind of nice to people, and then if you do that, then God's going to you know, take you to heaven one day. That kind of Christianity is what's on the ground, and that's, it's such a shallow Christianity. It's not actually what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to follow Jesus is to take root. How do we take root? By receiving the word, letting it grow in us, and following after God, and then we will be able to resist the difficulties that we face in life. Then we will have the consciences that actually help us whenever we're tempted. Then we will be able to deal with the hard things that happen to us in our lives. So there's a warning here against the shallowness 
that characterizes so much of the Christian faith that we all experience around us and probably in our own lives. I'm shaped by it too. And finally, there's a warning that comes in the thorns, the worldly distractions and wealth, Jesus says in verses 18 and 19. Which one among us is not distracted by the pursuit of wealth and comfort? And which one of us in the room today can say that at the center of my heart really is my job, my career, or my spouse's job or career, and the money that comes from that, and which house I live in, and where it is, and what schools I can provide for my kids or or for our young people. Uh, What part of our hearts isn't uh, how much money am I going to make one day and how can I be comfortable in this life? If we're honest, that's how we are wired to think. And so this passage says, watch out for the way in which worldly distractions and wealth drive us away from God and away from life. So there's three warnings in the passage, but verse 20 ends the passage on this positive note. It says in verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. God's word grows and bears fruit in us. And actually, I was going to share a similar story to the one um, that Elder Derek, Pastor Derek shared just a bit ago about the, the Muslim brother who came to faith and then shared the gospel with his father and with his 20 siblings. We have a story like that in our own church. Uh, and I love to tell this story because um, this young woman has just become dear to my heart because of, of the way in which um, she's just meant so much to our community and the way she's grown over the last few years. Her name is Denisha. Uh, she was a college student. She's just graduated. Uh, but the story I wanted to tell is that when she was at UNCC, there was a young woman named Ebony who believed the gospel, trusted God's word, and shared it with Denisha. And Denisha heard the gospel and believed it, And she then shared it with two of her friends. And they believed it, and now they are sharing it with people. They're still on campus. Denisha is graduated and is no longer on campus. And I just think there's these beautiful stories of the way in which God uses his word not only to grow us personally, but as we grow personally, inspires us to share that good word with others and to call them into the same hope that we have. And so I don't know if you feel discouraged right now or especially after a year of being off by ourselves. One of the things I'd, I'd encourage you to think about as we enter into this new world with vaccine shots and uh, life being a little bit more ordinary and seeing people once again is to allow God's word to grow in you, not just for you, but so that you can call others into the same good news and to follow with us. God uses the word not just to grow us, but to to grow his kingdom and to grow it exponentially. So John chapter 15, we'll close with this. Uh, Verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and whoever abides in me and I in him, that person is the one that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's hear that this morning. 
and let's hear the call to turn to God's word, to pick it up this week. And not just to pick it up this week, but to listen to it and to believe it and to grow from it. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us that we would do that. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this picture of you by your Son and through your Spirit spreading the word. And I pray this morning that our hearts would be softened and that it would sink in and that it would take root and that we would be changed by your powerful word. For some, that, that means coming to faith. For others, that means turning away from sin. For others, that means picking up the Bible and starting again to read it. Maybe it means reaching out to somebody and, and asking for accountability. Maybe it means joining a Bible study. Maybe it means getting more regularly involved in some group. Uh, maybe it means encouraging others who are struggling and, and paying attention to those around us in a way that we're not right now. It means different things for each one of us, Father. But I pray that today that through your word, that you would call us to see the goodness of the sower and the goodness of the seed of your word and to enjoy you through it in this week ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.